must not fear. Is this your preparing for? Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Thigh Gap Podcast. It's a special, a hundredth anniversary special. It's also special because we're joined by a special guest. My name is Bogus Noog, and with me, as always, is being brood. Hundredth episode, century. We are raising the bats. Clap your hands. Clap your hands, everybody. Yay! Yeah, cheap crowds, but, as always. Yep, but not just that. We're also joined by a special guest, McNulty, returning back to the Thigh Gap Podcast. McNulty, welcome back to the show. What an honor, guys, inviting me to your 100th episode. I, I already feel like Paul Atreides as the Messiah to be here on your 100th episode. What an honor. Thank you That's for right. having me again. That is right, McNulty. What an honor indeed. You've already appeared on the podcast four times now. And uh, with every passing time, that sensation of honor, you know, it's just going to yeah. d- get more diluted. And Absolutely. Yeah. And, and also, McNulty, it's our honor to, you know, to invite you for this cost that we have paid for you. Yeah. I think uh, uh, it shows our status as professional podcasters that we are only able to afford you. So the honor is ours with all humility. Yeah. Yeah. You know what we can do next time? You can give me a different name and I can come there with a different voice modulation and you can call me a different guest. Oh. Just to switch it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ideally, we do this like behind the stage. We don't discuss these strategies upfront with the audience <laughs> in the view. <laughs> Yeah, but any which way. Thanks for revealing us, exposing thigh gap, mm-hmm. and uh, it is also our episode special. It is also our honor, of course, to take what was once a special feeling for you to join a podcast and talk about something and make it more regular and uh, bland and yeah. uh, repetitive. So we're absolutely honored by that. Um, McNulty, killing excitement since two thousand twenty. Two thousand, bro. <laughs> So, of course, our episode this week, even before we get into that, bro, the most important yeah. thing that we do, our ritual, our Absolutely initiation bogus. is... Yes. Eat three rasgullas. Make our voice sweet. Where are we on the socials, bro? On Instagram, we are at... At underscore thigh gap. On Twitter and Vero, we are at... At thigh gap. And our email is... Mindthighgap at gmail.com. Excellent. Now we move on to the main reason for this episode. This episode is on Dune. Yeah, because we love deserts. Mm -hmm. Of course, by Dune, we're talking about the recent blockbuster movie. Which busted blocks only in UK and US. Busted in India understood the movie. (laughs) Busted them blocks all over the place. Um, (laughs) Denis Villeneuve and uh, Hans Zimmer. and Our personal friends. A few other good men uh, join hands to take on this Herculean task of... uh, Ridiculous. Yeah, it's almost unthinkable to make a movie on Dune just because of the scale and scope of the story. Yeah. So, McNulty, you're the special guest. You love Dune as well. You're a cinephile. People have heard the uh, Bane of Christopher Nolan episode. People continue to hear it. So, give us your first thoughts, McNulty. Dune. So I guess uh, when we talk about Dune, uh, we're talking about the movie here in this context Mm -hmm. and not so much about the books. Like I have seen the movie, I haven't read the books. And for me, I obviously belong to the category of people that loved it. Not so much like didn't know what was going on or couldn't like connect with it. I think there's two parties uh, that have either loved it or kind of didn't like it as much. And even though I had no background knowledge about what the story was about, I still enjoyed it as a movie because it kind of hit 
many nails on the head, not just like the film direction, the uh, cinematography, the music, all of them were a cut above the rest. Mm-hmm. But I could really enjoy the movie just as a person who loves going to the movies. And like it gave me that larger than life cinematic experience that I was craving. Right. And I, I think it just right after the pandemic kind of started easing up and then people started going back to the theaters. This mm-hmm. was like such a ceremonious, ceremonious way of like calling the um, people back into the theaters. Right. It was just like a beautiful gift for me. And um, yeah, my first thoughts were like experientially speaking, like I took my family one of the four times I watched it. Oh, I should say that I watched the movie four times in the theater. Mm hmm. And one of the times I took my family with me and I could visibly see them being upset with what was going on on the screen right, and right. them not connecting. To the lack of context. So my dad, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. lack of context. Like I could see my dad huffing and puffing and looking at me. He's like, what did you bring me to do? Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And my brother too, he's like, do you not know? Are you not wise enough to know that not to bring us to these kind of movies? That right. kind of thing. And right. for me, it was appalling because there was everything in the movie that you could appreciate without knowing the background. Mm-hmm. And I know like Denis Villeneuve doesn't spoon feed, but it still felt like the movie was easy enough to understand. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, like talking about the implications of the movie, like in, in the larger context, what it's supposed to mean just for that part of the movie, for what it was, it was amazing. And I saw it as like a pure and simple hero's journey. A guy that starts out with all this, like the worldly weight on him because he has to keep up the name of his father. Right. He being introduced to this new country where, you know, he's supposedly supposed to help extract Spice Melange and like, you know, make riches for his family. Right. And also like get to know the Fremen people. All of these burdens were on him. Mm -hmm. And he has to overcome that and then kind of come out winning in the end. So that seemed like a beautiful story that made up the hero's journey. So I just saw it as a hero's journey. Right. Going from a guy with the weight of the world on his shoulders, having full of self-doubt, mm-hmm. not knowing that he can pull it off, mm-hmm. to being able to do those things. So just in terms of that, I enjoyed it a lot. And um, yeah, we can get into the weeds about the philosophy behind where this is going to go. So yeah, to me, it quite simply talked about a hero and how his journey like kind of was from beginning to end. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, yeah. That, that makes sense. So unlike Denny, you know, I'd want to provide some context to our listeners. Of, okay. Unlike what he did in the movie. The favorite segment of Bogus, where he goes on to a 23 minute monologue, mm-hmm. still leaves people confused. Like, what did he just say? Yeah. And the favorite petite death of Brute, where he gets to interrupt me. Sure, that must have been uh, satisfactory, Brute. Absolutely. Hope you have tissues. Best part of my day. Okay. So the context was actually, uh, for our listeners, in this episode, we're going to go over not just the movie that Denny came out with, but also... Advertisements and sponsors of the movie. A brief reference to the David Lynch version that came out a few years back and also the bigger universe, the larger universe that Dune is set in and why there's a lot more to what's happening in the story than uh, what it appears on the surface. Because on the surface, like you said, it just looks like a hero's journey, like a basic hero's journey where this guy comes out on top now uh, by the end. But it's not that. It's a whole lot more. Yeah, uh, that's yeah light on. boys, spot boys, makeup, mm-hmm. all these things. Yeah, of course. So yeah. uh, that's what the episode is going to go on. And after that, we will also talk about what the actual core concepts of Dune are. 
what the author was trying to get at. He was trying to yeah. point to certain aspects of the human condition, uh, which he was trying to warn his readers about. And there's very important messages in that as well. So we'll get to that. Uh, so yeah, one of the most important messages: Thigh Gap Podcast, subscribe and share. Really important. Yeah. So I'll come over to you now, Brute. Um, yeah. You also over. watched the movie without context, without uh, knowledge of you know what that universe was, who these characters right. are, etc. It was your first time. What was your right. impression of the? Yeah. Movie? Firstly, see, I'm a big fan of Dunes. Okay, I've I've been a geek on Dunes. All of them. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, awesome. I I I personally known few <laughs> Dunes in my lifetime. So right. like I really connect to them at a personal level, at an emotional level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when Dunes released, like McNulty said, one of the big things was I think it was one of those big movers and shakers in the movie industry where theatrical release, IMAX. I don't think there was another movie which was coming anywhere after Dunes or before Dunes at the IMAX level. The time did well. Yeah, there was nothing else. Uh, no other yeah, there's nothing, nothing close by to that. From what I can remember, yeah. As far as but I'll think. tell you off the bat, when I watched the trailer of Dunes and the setup, and you know, I I really didn't know the story. Mm-hmm. But I did was binge watching this show on Hotstar, uh, The Mandalorian. Right. And then uh, I watched the second part of Mandalorian, which was Boba Fett. Okay. Right. Which was kind of like a parallel story of what's happening as Mandalorian was building his career. Yeah. Yeah. They're just milking it's, their characters for what they. Yeah. It's basically like okay, fine. We just got one character. Let's make another show. That's it. But what I really liked, what attracted me towards the Dune movie, was that complete setup and the way it was taken. I think Mandalorian was the first show or any kind of web series or anything which used that technology to not really having to shoot in the real desert per se. I'm, I'm like paraphrasing this whole shit, okay? Yeah. But basically using that huge LED screens yeah. to give that realistic effort and the realistic yeah. light. Mm-hmm. So when I saw the Dune trailer, again, thanks to you, Bogus, because you went on and on about Dune and I remember you talking about it in your sleep and all. So I was like, okay, fine. What is it about? That so when I saw the trailer, a whole lot of other things. Okay, yeah. Yeah, when I saw the trailer, it resembled vaguely to Mandalorian's taking, you know, the long vehicles. It kind of like, I mean, the setup or like, if you look at the trailer, you'll almost feel that, okay, it's vaguely resembling that kind of taking. Mm -hmm. So that pushed me to watch the movie. And to be very honest, it will take you a little patience to follow it for the first 20, 30 minutes. It kind of doesn't grip you from word go Mm. as a movie. But if you're patient enough for the first 15-20 minutes, then you start getting gripped into it. Once that sisters come and then they put that guy's hand and then the sound starts kicking in. Or when I say sound, the music starts kicking in. That's when as an audience, it it really kind of grips you. But I think the director took his own sweet time. He was in no hurry to like, you know, mesmerize the audience per se. Mm. But... Once you reach the end of the first part, which is what I assume it is, Mm. right? At the end of the movie, you almost become restless that why isn't there a second part? Yeah. So that gradual growth of grippingness of the audience was something that is really amazing. It's a trademark term now. Yeah. Absolutely. Grippingness is is an official word in Oxford Dictionary. Thanks to Thigh Gap. Thanks for that. Yeah, input, bro. It's almost like saying, I took a look at the Dune poster and the orange hue made me go plan a vacation and go out. Absolutely. uh, And also, uh, very similar to McNulty, I just have a little difference of my perception towards the Dune story. Mm -hmm. It was a ridiculously handsome teenager's journey through puberty. That's all I could see. You know, the whole concept of, 
the whole concept of he went in a boy came out a man kind of a thing hmm more you than know, handsome yeah both us don't cross cross talk me when i am talking you listen when i talk okay aha uh-huh. learn from nationality it's so unfortunate that we have to learn from our guests that's what i thought bro like i was just thinking what a disaster our 100th episode is going to be because for all the casual movie goers they're going to hit yeah. me and mcnality because we're going to go in deep down into the weeds now and for all the yeah. cinephiles they're going to hit you because you're like i love dunes i liked all of them <laughs> i saw three three of them yesterday by the street <laughs> now no, maybe, maybe what he, maybe what he liked was uh, twin peaks not dune exactly <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, see my job is to attract the masses right so right <laughs> we're going nowhere like, yeah. i can see this uh, anyways let's just par through yeah. it uh, and yeah. you know, see where it takes us bro um, yeah the story of a teenage boy going through puberty that's dune's part 1 wow and then he got a venereal disease or something some worms were crawling through his junk no no there is no? there is definitely that uh, mother sentiment happy mother's day <laughs> which is, which is there on the sidelines <laughs> holy shit and obviously fantasizing <laughs> women in his dreams obviously a teenager going through puberty what more yeah do you see it there's no pawn in the future yeah um but Okay, from my part, I want to set up the context for listeners who are also in the same boat, which is, yeah, I don't know anything about this universe. I don't know anything about these characters, but it's a Denny Villeneuve movie and there's Hans Zimmer providing music, so I'll just go watch. And it's yeah. been a while post-pandemic like you said in McNally. I'll go watch because it's a good theme behind this film. And uh for those folks, if you were frustrated, I don't think I can blame you. I can't blame your parents, your brother, I can't blame anyone who thought, you know, well, I don't see what's the big deal because this guy Denny, he was talking about how he decided on what the screenplay is going to be and what's the narrative going to be like because he already has an example of the David Lynch movie to pick from. And so he said he decided I wanted to make a movie that my 14-year-old, you know, the 14-year-old Denny that read the books and wanted to see the adaptation. this is what i would want to see so in the interest of pacing in the interest of plot like brut mentioned which is a which is a right by the end of it the way they paced it by the end of it you're left feeling wanting it ends a little too abruptly yeah and you you're left with the feeling that no i want to see what happens immediately after yeah you almost keep pressing the next button yeah yeah thinking there's an episode but no it's like it's done <laughs> yeah only three dunes where's the fourth one yeah yeah <laughs> So the main thing is this guy did not bother to spoon feed about the story about the universe about the characters purely because that would make the movie suck. Uh David Lynch was given the task of directing Dune way back in the I don't know 80s or 90s or whatever and shockingly he was just 24 years old hmm. when he got this on his hand. I don't know how someone at 24 can say yes to something like this. Um but he did yeah. and he actually did a great job. yeah uh, especially with the set design and the worm and a lot of other things but he tried to explain you know like he tried to service the audience by saying okay you may not know who these people are you may not know what the hell is going on so let me explain each and every situation each and every planet you know how this world works and of course in all of that it kind of felt long it kind of felt dull um like you couldn't really pace your right. uh, plot points properly enough So that was one director who chose to do that at 24 but now then this is another director who goes the other way thinking 
even though there's many people who probably are not going to understand you know why this movie is good whatever but i my not star is is my 14 year old self going to be happy with this movie and that's yeah. how we made it luckily for me before watching the movie itself i was so hyped on this movie because i had some idea about the scale of the story you know this is like five or seven novels and the story of dune universe actually goes across thousands of years you know uh, yeah. rulers change hands There's i think th- dynasties change hands dynasties right? change not hands. just rulers yeah yeah and thousands of years actually so what deni touched upon in this story is just the very beginning of it mm. and mm. i was sure okay this guy is not going to bother with any explanation whatsoever so i went Correct. looking into because teenagers never listen even if you try to explain they don't yeah yeah so i was looking into youtube uh, and i found this guy called quins ideas he made this ultimate guide to you dune yeah. a playlist where he kind of just explained the plot points and what happens with the characters how the story progresses forward across all of the mm-hmm. books and i thought he did an amazing job because it saved me a lot of time of having to read the books and you know about soil structures of a planet and all that stuff where i could just come down to the brass tacks who are these characters how what is their life going to be like and i thought this guy did a great job i link that playlist in the description of this episode if you watched dune and this is to the listeners if you watched it and you felt yeah i don't see what the big deal is i don't get why people praise this so much then i yeah. would suggest you watch the first two videos in that playlist that's good enough for this dune part 1 and then if you rewatch the movie then you'll really see what was done not just Absolutely. by denny also by zimmer and spot boys and makeup men yes. light men all of them so i want to explain just a very few basic things to our listeners one is if you think dune was about this a typical hero's journey like paul atreides this young guy who is thrust into this unexpected situation where he has to become a man because he's the chosen one he's neo and all that stuff it kind of looks that way the movie and that was a very clever thing that they did Mm-hmm. I thought it was a very clever misdirection rather than showing all their cards they narrated the story in this way so that people relate with that common hero's arc you know that yeah. oh, this guy is the chosen one this guy is coming up in this world he's Luke Skywalker or he's uh, Star Lord you know all this stuff so Jason Bourne yeah yeah so I recognize this trope so okay I get it this is the story you're trying to tell me but actually Paul Atreides is not even the hero of Dune in fact he is probably something opposite in the actual dune universe polatreides is like a warning sign an ill omen for disaster that is coming and that is the truth of where the story is going actually but the clever way in which they set up this first movie just so people who are unfamiliar they still have something relatable to that i thought that was a master stroke mcnally you watched uh, the first couple of videos right in that playlist yes i did so you yeah. know more about that universe and brute you've watched it i do too. have Yeah, I did watch. So, what did you think about their choice of narrative versus what's actually there in the story? See, the thing that I liked about the movie and why I spoke about the pacing and the grippingness mm-hmm. that escalated over the movie. Yeah. Is the fact that it was almost like reading a book. Why I say that is, you know how when you're reading a good book, your perception about characters keeps changing as and when you go yeah like you think that this is the hero or that this is the lead of the movie uh, or of the book and then as you go to the middle of the book he will do something which will change your perception towards him mm-hmm. so i think that is what was happening which kept you guessing all the time and because the director didn't spoon feed i don't know the director personally i know hans keeps coming 
Yeah. But because they, he didn't set it out, those concrete storylines up front, mm-hmm. you were always second guessing the storyline as an audience. Right. And once I saw the explanatory videos, the YouTube videos you're talking about, yeah, I was like, oh no, there's, there's a lot more going about. And I was just kind of matchmaking. I'm like, did I get this right? Did I get this right? Did I get that right? Right. Right. And I'm like, okay, I got like four out of 10 things right. So yeah, I think uh, if you ask me the way they chose to narrate the story is that it was a smart, like, I think, yeah, even without me seeing the YouTube videos, I feel it is very smart. Yeah. Yeah, because there is that recognizable story arc. McNally, what was your impression after watching these videos? Yeah, but actually, can I take it a step back sure. from the videos aspect? Go because to the beginning, McNally. Nobody where, where Go to the you want. Start yeah. from Welcome to Thai Gap Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let me start by uh, subscribing and then I'll... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, shit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think what uh, Quinn's ideas do is give you the larger perspective of what's going on in terms of the novel. Mm -hmm. But again, I I kind of want to take a step back and bring focus to the movie because I don't think you needed to know anything about Quinn's ideas or the books to enjoy this movie. And as you guys are saying, I didn't see like an arc from, say, going to like, um, you know, this young a uh, budding hero who goes through his rite of passage comes out as a man mm-hmm. and then turns into the anti-hero because they don't make that inflection point of him going to the anti-hero side quite yet. Yeah. It's not like Breaking Bad where you see, you know, a Walter White actually make that arc quite yeah. clearly. So we're here we're alluding to the whole messianic complex, right? Like that where he switches from being the good guy to the bad guy. Uh but the way I saw it in the movie was he's just like a pure kid who has the best of intentions and he's trying to do the best he can with his inputs, basically mm. the Benny Jesuit come the Benny Jesuit uh, for our audience is basically the sisterhood, uh, the, people, the, the women. Yeah. The sisterhood. That's actually like a shadow government. That's trying to like plan out the entire Imperium. Right. Um, in, in a, like an optical way. Um, you have the mother who has high expectations of him. Right. And uh, he's Paul Atreides. He's one of the most powerful houses in, in the Imperium. But to me, what touched me as as a human being, as a guy that can empathize with the characters, is actually one of the scenes Denis Villeneuve constructed outside of the books, mm-hmm. which is when they go to Lido, uh, that's Paul's father's, yeah. father's grave. Yeah. And they're actually talking. And these are moments that show you the innocence of the hero. And that's why you're rooting for him, mm-hmm. right? Like, you yeah. want this guy to win. And he's like, hey, dad what if I'm not enough? Yeah. Right. And the dad says, even if you're not the guy, you'll be enough because you're my son. Right. It's enough that you're my son. Mm-hmm. And I think when I like first heard that dialogue, it was like, how many sons do... no, 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 it's, no, no. I think he's trying to say that even if you don't <laughs> choose this mantle, or if you don't choose to succeed me, it's enough that you're my child. That'll always be enough for me. Yeah. yeah, you don't have to go and accomplish things that far, like outlast me, or you don't have to do these great things. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is like a big complex sons have because normally in even ordinary lives, the fathers have done like good things in relation to uh, what you've done, let's say, as as a young adolescent. Right. And you right. have to somehow succeed your father in better ways. You have to step and out of his that- shadow. And yeah, exactly. If he casts a large shadow, shadow, the bigger the challenge is it going to it's going to be for you as a son. Yeah, to, exactly. To do that. Abhishek Bachchan and Amitabh Bachchan. Rohan Gavaskar. Yeah, bro. yeah. Rohan Gavaskar. Stuart Bini. 
Yeah, yeah. The list and, goes on. And you never know whether you're making your parents proud, and especially your father, right? True, yeah. And for him yeah. to have heard this, mm. imagine how much of a weight that's off his shoulders, right? Yes. He's yeah. already struggling with being a mentat. He's already struggling being the Kwisatz Haderat, or whatever the uh, Benny Gesserit have for him. But he's not, um, he's, and, he's not struggling with all those things per se at that point of time. He's only struggling with his inadequacy. and That's true, yeah. that's true, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But eventually, he'll have to struggle with the idea of the Lizan al-Gaib, yeah. which is what the Fremen give him, the name that he's the savior. Mm-hmm. And those moments like that really touched me. And why I also started rooting for him is when he goes to Arrakis, mm-hmm. like when they you know, step down and, you know, you see the Fremen people like Maudib or Misala and Gaib yeah, is yeah. here or whatever. Yeah. And the mother, mother tells him what that chant is. Right. And he goes like, yeah, they're only told... Uh, to see what they're told to see, right? Mm. Like, they don't actually know that I am the Messiah. He's full of self-doubt. Yeah. If he wanted, he could, like, jump on that pedestal and be like, yo, well, the second coming. Like, there's something I can add right? to that. Like, that point, the reason why Paul reacts that way to his mother saying, you know, um, they're only seeing what they've been taught to see. So what Rebecca, his mom, who is a part of this Benny Gesserit secret society sisterhood, yeah. who yeah. are the shadow government, like you said, they have a huge influence and they often are like consigliaries or counselors to emperors or heads of these powerful families. But they have their own agenda in the back end. And Rebecca, Paul's mom, is actually a Harkonnen. She's from that family. Yeah. So she's actually this daughter of the Baron, I think. I don't know if Not she's a... daughter or niece or something like that, but she is a Hakonan. Yeah. So the reason why Paul reacts that way is because it is the Bene Gesserit actually that have been th- that planted that legend of Lisan al Gaib and Muadib. There will be a mother and a son who will come to the desert, you know. And so they created this narrative, this story, hundreds if not thousands of years before this event actually happened. Because, you know, in a society, if you have to plant something that you want to see springing up into a religion, into a cult, you need to give it time, right? You can't just expect it to start doing that overnight. Yeah. So that kind of myth, they started laying from thousands of years before about a mother and a son that would come to this planet and the son will turn out to be the Lisan al-Gaib. He will lead them to their freedom. You know, he will be their salvation. That's the kind of legend that they built up. And I think this is highlighted by the Rebecca's character also in yes. one of her conversation with Ben, that sisterhood. Yes. Yeah. So without, like you said, bro, like without explaining too much or giving too much concept, a context, they just added these dialogues Yeah. where you would not understand actually what's going on behind the scenes. Mm. What went on behind the scenes is Benny Jesserit actually created this legend on Arrakis about a mother and a son thousands of years before this happening. How did they do that? That again goes back to how did they achieve so much power and influence? Mm. Um, Social media. Over these years. Yeah. They're excellent on TikTok. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they keep talking about the dunes every week, bro. Every week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, keep dropping the spook bombs. <laughs> yeah. But how they did it is basically these women are supposed to be um, virgins. And mm. uh, during their adolescent years, they have they go through this initiation ritual. They have to drink this liquid that is kind of like make or break. You know, you either come out of it alive mm. or you're dead. And a lot of these girls die. So the ones that are alive actually surpass. And because of the, it is basically drugs. So it basically causes you to have hallucinations. And you tend to gain prevision. 
that's what they call it like you can just see the premonition right premonition you can see things yeah. in the future um, you're not going to see concrete you know what this is going to be you're going to see versions of it bro like this could happen or that could happen yeah that they show it in the movie also right he has conflicting versions a uh, vision sorry so they see these versions and when they see these versions now they look at it as okay we can control the narrative of the future if we work on making this happen you know we had one vision so that one vision that we had could be one of a possible many eventualities that will happen but because we saw one vision we can now control society and engineer society to a direction where our version probably bears fruit that's how mm. beni jessere tries to gain that back end control and on the other hand what they've been doing is through their visions etc they've foreseen a quizats hadarak or a figure that basically becomes the you need to share an appendix for this episode for all the terms that you're using sure so basically the chosen one who is supposed to be the salvation of the society and the how they achieve this particular uh, chosen one is they are actually genetically engineering engineer bloodlines so this imperium has a bunch of rich families all of this is you know scalable to our real world how it goes on here so pretty much you have 0.1% of the 1% kind of thing those rich families these benedictist are looking at genetic knowledge uh, genetic information and they are trying to splice together dna trying to get married you know this family to that family so that they have children and one of those combinations is going to be this chosen one and with rebecca i mean paul's mom her mission was you need to seduce duke later and you need to become his kind of benigestrate whisperer right and maybe marry him you know have kids with him etc but she was especially forbidden sorry court him produce actually a, a daughter a daughter a yeah yeah she goes to produce his as per the benigestrate visions their expectation was that the chosen one would be a daughter so they would have forbidden rebecca to have a son with later and what rebecca does is the first born happens to be paul so because now her maternal instinct kicks in and she is also no small fry in the benigestrate order like she was trained directly by the lady who asked paul to put his hand in the thing yeah right so she was trained by her um so she has um she's very adept in the ways of the voice and all that stuff and so she passes this information or this knowledge down to paul as a way to protect him from again the benigestrate and everyone else So Paul is someone now who comes up as the son of someone like Duke Leto. You know, no matter how much magical shenanigans your mom is involved in, ultimately a good father, a solid father has his own impact. Like you said that scene with the graves of yeah. his ancestors, right? That one thing that yeah. the father says to his son, which is such an important thing to let your son know at that age, to give him that sort of security. You know that regardless of all this you're still my son. And the other kind of upbringing as well. Gunny Halleck which is Josh Brolin yeah. Thanos he also that amazing scene I really love that scene where he comes to train him in combat yeah. what is what is mood have to do with it what is mood have to do with it yeah yeah that is the I, other I was going to bring that up I forgot but yeah it's a great one yeah I love that scene because every time I see that scene it reminds me of Thaiga because we've covered that so many times like you have to go past your mood you know like even yeah. the last episode we talked about it you don't get to 100 episodes without like you're not going to feel up to it every time even today yeah if i really had the option i would have asked to move it because i was kind of feeling groggy and i had a long day etc cetera, etc cetera. but mood just doesn't come into it yeah right yeah. and that was why i loved that scene so much because he first of all establishes that who's the boss 
yeah, who is the boss and mood does not come into this because you can't predict when danger is going to come. The world that we yeah, live in, yeah. you never know when it's going to happen. And the same thing Rebecca does with Paul, even in the introduction scene when they're having breakfast, she has to pass him a glass of water. You know, there's no stakes yeah. in that scene. She still makes him. Yeah. No, out, it, yeah. out of the blue, you just have use to voice. use the voice now. And he says, I just woke up, you know. Yeah. And that's the thing, yeah. like, can we find a time yeah. and a place for this? And everyone around Paul is trying to sensitize him to the fact that there is no time and place. Yeah. Mm. You could have an assassin hiding in your bed, right? Which was the case. That's yeah. what I'm saying. So they're yeah. trying to train him in the right way. That mood has nothing to do with it. Time and place has nothing to do with it. Um, even in that scene with Gurney Halleck, where the mood scene, the other thing that I loved is, I don't know if this is the actor who did it or if it's the direction, but... After the whole mood thing, Gurney Halleck is telling Paul about how crazy the Harkonnens are. You know, he has mm. this dialogue where you don't know what Harkonnens are like. I've met them. And he goes, they're brutal. Almost like, you know, Dude, spit flying I was just going to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> Did I notice that too? It's like the way he says it. Yeah. It's like almost like, you know, bringing the reality of that harshness to Paul. It's like making him realize, dude, you don't understand. I have to get animated about this for you to know. Like, brutal. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it kind of stands out, right? Because the line dude, reading the yeah. line reading of the dialogues before and after that is on one kind of uh, tone. And yeah. then the minute yeah. he says this brutal line and the way he says it, it stands yeah. out. It reminded me of Kubrick, actually. Funny mm. enough. You know, because sometimes Kubrick was, you know, by way of criticizing him as a director people tend to say that he makes his actors overact sometimes mm. so if you think back to the shining you know where um, jack nicholson when he's chasing his wife you know like a yeah. madman the way he acts all extra manic and over as they say and uh, mm. if you think about clockwork orange and how those guys behave you know one would think that okay if you have such a prestigious director like stanley kubrick He's going to go for the prestige. He's going to go for the, you know, the realism finesse. of it or the finesse. Yes, the finesse yeah. of it. But then you look at something like 2001 and Space Odyssey, pretty much silence. Mm. Actors yeah. don't emote at all. Yeah. You know, yeah. it is the dread of the machine that you feel. Then you come to Shining and you come to Clockwork Orange. Everyone's like overacting more than even our local industry movies. You know, like the Telugu <laughs> movies or in Hindi movies we see. The overaction goes be beyond. To be fair, they're playing neurotic characters, right? Like, they're not supposed to be... Even though they're playing neurotic characters, right? Kubrick, it is said... I mean, you must have heard of how many scenes, how many takes he likes to do. Oh, yeah, dude. That guy's nuts. Kubrick, it was said that he deliberately pushed his actors, you know, to do more crazy. Go more crazy. Even if the actor's like, this is bordering on comical now. You know, am I in a Marvel or a DC movie? It's almost like that. But he's still pushing them because it has the effect on the audience. You know, that effect where even as the audience, you can recognize that this is not natural. What I'm seeing or what I expect from maybe Jack Nicholson or what I expect from maybe the Clockwork Orange actors or even a director like Stanley Kubrick, this is a little odd. This is a little off. And that's the effect I thought this brutal, you know, that line line delivery had in that Dune yeah. scene. That was amazing, I thought. Just the way he said it. No, I, I love it. Yeah. I think what's more amazing is the elaborate monologue you gave for like a yeah. 0.5 second scene. Of course. Yeah. And uh, the one thing that I remember of Kubrick that, uh-huh. you know, when you're talking about Shining, mm-hmm. you know what he did to Jack Nicholson before they shot that final scene, that wife chasing scene? What? 
So apparently for two weeks of shoot before that day, he ordered the whole pantry and the canteen people or whoever was in charge of the, you know, the food to only serve bland tuna sandwich to Jack Nicholson. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, you know, he gets really rattled up and on the day of shoot, like he'll just let him lose and he'll like... And after the scene was confirmed, like, you know, logged or whatever, he just took him out for a dinner, saying that this is all I needed, that tuna sandwich for. So I think there is a lot of directoral play in how you want to emote and emote. I'm sure there is some amount of improv that is there. I mean, a guy like Josh Berlin would definitely not hold himself back from improv, especially for the fact that he did Deadpool and all. But it still has to root out of a director Hmm. as to what is that impact you know, this is where I want people to like wake up. Yeah, this I, is where you're not just waking up Paul, you're waking up the whole theater. Right. Because dull scene, you yeah. gotta wake them up. Right. And that is the effect that had. Like it stands out. Yeah, absolutely. If you again look back at Paul, like not not just his dad, but also Gurney Halleck, who was looking after him. He is the in charge of the Atreides army. Duncan Idaho, you know, um, Carl Drogo slash yeah. Aquaman slash Jason Momoa. Jason Momoa. Yes. He's hmm. actually Paul's slash the mentor. Tanzanian Australian. Slash the biker. Okay. Yeah. Now, he's uh, supposed to be Paul's mentor, like more directly someone who's mentoring Paul. Hands-on guy. Yeah. And you can see the relation that those two share as well. Right. There's no superficial relations, especially in the Atreides uh, household. It's all, yeah. even people like with the doctor as well, they have maintained that kind of familiarity, um, which eventually turned out to be their downfall, of course. But yeah, the fact that these parallels where everyone was trying to sensitize Paul about no time and place, no mood, you got to do it. Let's talk about later. Magnality. I don't know. I One of the four times I went to the IMAX, we went with local friends and our Canadian women friends were gaga over that guy. Mm-hmm. One thing is that he's just like eye candy. He looks fucking handsome. He talks with that kind of prestige stoic. and that honor. Very stoic huh? body language. Stoic, yeah, stoic. And but he like he means business. Like he's not fucking around. Like yeah, you know, dude. Yeah, this is where our problems are. This is how we need to fix it. He's also a caring guy. Like when they get on the thopter to check out like a mining expedition. And then, yes. you know, something goes wrong. Yeah. And Dr. Kynes, uh, mm-hmm. the black lady, mm-hmm. she says like, oh shit, I think, you know, this is the way we can actually, uh, what do you, what do you Save think? the spice. What's the word I'm looking like, Yeah, save the spice. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes like, fuck the spice. I don't save the people. Yeah. Right? You know, I'm here to like protect my people first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you can see that he's a good leader and he comes from a good place and Atreides is a good clan. But I think that's does not speak to the bad nature of doc, Dr. Kynes. Mm-hmm. She's just used to the precedence there. Yeah. Where people just care about like mining spice melange and getting extracting every ounce of she's just used to that kind of leadership, right? Right. So I think that actually plays on doc, Dr. Kynes's mind, and later she comes back to save them in the movie. Mm-hmm. Because she's kind of like playing this from this neutral point of view where she's like, if they're anything like my predecessors that, that have ruled Arrakis, then these guys are just you just know, the same uh same shit difference or same smell different shit whatever, yeah yeah right but they she kind of sauces them out and then i think she, i think she sees that they are coming they are coming from a good place and then later she goes to save paul and, and jessica but yeah uh, coming back to leto i think just like formidable in that role he was just awesome yeah i don't know he, he felt like the, the kind of father every son needed almost yeah 
And he's also very fierce in protecting Paul, right? Like he asks Jessica, if it comes to do or die, are you going to protect our son? Yeah. yeah. She says, like, what's got, gotten into you, right? He's like, I'm not asking the mother. I'm asking the Benny Gesserit lady. Yeah. yeah. Right? He's very well aware that she's playing two roles. She is, yeah. So he's like, yeah. Like, it felt like he knew what was going on, except for when he got obviously killed. Uh, but I, I think I think one of the things that I liked about that character later was that Paul's father's character. Yeah. Is... And I'm not saying that I'm speaking more more in terms of acting. Mm-hmm. I always felt from the time they are given that project of, you know, mining spice and mm. all that. And then he gets to know that he was set up and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And his personal bedroom stories that were happening. This MI6 agent is not being straight to him. So Where, what are you talking about? Rebecca, like oh, okay. he was in Mission Impossible, right? Right, so right. You got you to gotta oh. keep up with the continuity, bro. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. But, you know, the thing that I really liked about that character is how he thrived in helplessness. Mm -hmm. He was lonely. He was helpless. He doesn't know where to turn towards. And he was shielding all that against his son. But yet, he thrived in that. Like, he kept moving forward, kept sticking by his his responsibilities or whatever you say. That balance was really done well, according to me. It's a very difficult place to be mentally also. Like, we all feel that. Mm. Right. We feel we get up in the morning feeling helpless, not liking what we are doing, you know, not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. But still we wake up and kind of move forward. So you can kind of relate to that. But when I saw this Leto's character, I was like, yeah, this is every guy. You know, probably this is every father who's going through disappointments, who's going through like uncontrollable happening around him. And yet he's he has to, you know, stick up to his son saying that I'm a good man. He has to stick up to his wife saying that I'm a good man. He has to stick up to his people saying that I'm still a capable leader or whatever. Mm. Right. That was amazing. I think uh, not just from the character, but even from the acting perspective, I kept seeing that helplessness in his eyes till the end. That's a good catch because, um, yeah, I'll come back to that. So the casting of the guy itself, Oscar Isaac, I thought, yeah, great casting. Yeah. And more than the casting, it's the the look, the character look yeah. that they brought with his yeah. salt and pepper beard, which is yeah. neatly yeah. defined and the costume and his stoic body language and that. Mm-hmm. It was so good. His performance was also so good uh, for such a small role. But that's that's the tragedy of the character, I feel, later, is that we never get to see his peak, like his best yeah. moments. Mm-hmm. We're, the moment we're coming into the story, he's already on his way out. And it's almost yeah. like what you spoke about, Brood, in his eyes, it is because he actually understands his time is up. Yeah. He knows it. He sees it. it coming. He sees it coming and yeah. not because Rebecca told him, you know. Yeah. Because Rebecca knows. also knows that his yeah. time is up. Because what happens is when the Benny Gesserit, after the uh, Gom Jabbar, the test, you know, that yeah. they put to Paul. Ah! That's the music that oh. comes, right? Yeah. That's where I, I read scene. You're saying? Sorry, I, I just, speaking of the Gom Jabbar, I don't know if you guys noticed, the subtlety in um, Timothy Chalamet's acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when he's actually first puts his hand in there. Yeah. And the way you kind of appreciate the pain that is being laid on him, you know, he's like, yeah. Okay, so how are you going to test me? Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. That just subtle expression was like so new for me. He wasn't like, yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah. you know, like trying to control it. He was just like, okay, let's see what else you got kind of thing. I don't know. Timothy Chalamet is, is also a great cast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, he was just so good with his expressions. Dude, and that, um, yeah. that, that moment when he like, he's going through the pain, he's holding it, he's holding it, and he stares back at that 
sister who's a what mm-hmm. and there's like bloodshot yeah. eyes you can see that he's crying and whatever and yeah. the ah sound that i'm making is the moment he looks up and stares back at yeah. her yeah. is when that ah sound comes in the music in the background music yeah and that's yeah. when you're like dude this guy just became a man like this guy is <laughs> is going to give shit back to whosoever comes his way or like at least you get that impression right that this guy figured it out now and just that look up i think that killed it for me like that was like this is brilliant like this guy just killed yeah. it he made us feel the pain all this while and now we you feel stronger along with him as a audience and that's like that's extremely well done you don't get to go through that a lot yeah i think a lot of that is in the direction for sure because yeah for I, sure for sure i heard some of the behind the scenes for that scene the gonjaba sequence including him. <laughs> including you know the how they showed her using the voice Mm-hmm. like neil and how they showed the immediate edit the transition of yeah. him yeah, and that did it so well um yeah. so subtly done but it conveys the meaning and what you said that you know he became a man in that scene actually in the movie that's where the benny jesseret mother gets realizes a, a surprise you know almost like a shock that oh this guy is not what i thought he not was not what we think yeah yeah, yeah. i think she paul, she says that even in the movie yeah yeah he she says that paul himself she comes out and tells rebecca mi6 is a better job for you don't do this shit anymore <laughs> like yeah so paul himself actually still has no clue where yeah. paul actually woke up was in arakis when he gets down and he inhales that spice for the yeah. first time when they're trying to you know save those people yeah. that yeah. is where he has his wake up moment actually because paul is all about visions yeah that's where he gets his power from like he actually can see visions into the future possible futures i mean which was supposed to be like one of the powers of this quizats hadarak kind of person yeah leto yeah like uh, you were saying bro just a look on his face in his eyes he knew the tragedy of like still continuing on with the stoic responsibility of you know his role right as soon as the news came down that the emperor suddenly decided all of a sudden to move an entire family entire uh, dynasty, dynasty away yeah. from a planet right and replace that with the atreides clan when the spice business is the most profitable business in mm. that whole empire like the harkonnens was said to be making more money than the emperor himself at that yes. point of time they were hiding their uh, true balance sheet but they were actually richer than the emperor and so when in that situation the emperor decides to remove them from the equation and put a tradies and the harkonnens don't object to it at all like you can see it from a mile away that this is a conspiracy right yeah. so gunny halleck knew it duke leto knew it they knew that they were walking into a trap all of them knew it paul probably had to be told that but after the reach as well there is a point where after the benigestret come etc leto realizes that his time is up like he realizes somehow they never show how but he knows that he's going to be exiting the scene pretty soon that's where he asks rebecca you know i'm talking to the benny jesseret i'm not i'm right. not asking his mom and that's the reason why just before that scene happens rebecca is actually seen crying almost shivering before she actually goes to meet leto and that scene mm-hmm. happens she's actually they show a scene of her just crying walking towards that this thing and of course by the time she's there she's all perfect natural because women you know so yeah. Um, ladies the ladies so <laughs> um rebecca knows because when the benigestrit sisterhood is leaving after the gomjabar test she asks the mother like what happens or something like that and then benigestrit mother without turning around she just responds a path has been laid for you to on arakis hmm 
and she goes and bargains for her life also right she does she bargains yeah. for her life yeah. and the boy paul's life yeah because now they, they are, leave them alone as far as benny jesseret is concerned these two are vital to our storyline now yeah leto you know he's extra he's so done. the minute she says a path has been laid for you too at arakis that's when yeah. rebecca understands oh she did not mention leto that means he's yeah. going to die and that's what she realizes but leto again to his credit he realizes it himself and he just says you know i wish we had more time yeah leto chala telivan or yeah yeah so <laughs> you know just the tragedy of the character knowing the situation he's in knowing where he's going to end up still going through with it and yeah. even after the shock of one of your most trusted people the da- the doctor you know stabbing you in the back because why harkonen promised you something as if he's ever going to you know stay live up to his promise, up to yeah. his promise. Yeah. you still chose to derail an entire family that fed you that hired you mm. just because of this thing he still does not hold that grudge when this guy tells him there is a way you can get rid of baron i am putting a poisonous tooth in your mouth at the on right time you got to click it he still goes ahead and does it yeah and almost gets the guy yeah what a character yeah yeah what about rebecca What about her? You like her? I think she's hot, bro. I think she'll look yeah. amazing on some bikes. What do you think, bro? She she would really do well in a reverse flip in a 4 feet swimming pool. Wow. That's that's the next stunt I want her to pull off. Yeah. It Apart is... from cheating dynasty kings and misguiding their her own sons mm-hmm. and then being pedantic about using the voice, mm-hmm. she can add some flavor to her life. Wonderful. It is for this As analysis a... that as a character if you are saying i i don't know i find her to be a typical bollywood mother who's told the villain that i'm on your side i'm on your side i'm on your side like fuck you no i love my son now <laughs> like fuck <laughs> off <laughs> the best, like she bargained the shit out of the whole fucking universe just to so that she can run around in deserts with her son mm. and keep sniffing on spices i mean I don't know if you can say much about the character because in the movie they didn't again reveal all that much the depth behind this lady um but the acting I thought was insane what she did it was really good she acted as yeah. if she really read all the books yeah and I doubt it yeah. but uh, uh she is she's a theater artist dude I'm sure she would have read yeah she's a really good actor that's for sure I'm I'm sure that that would have been a prerequisite for all the actors who are coming for the audition that's why Thor didn't get selected because he doesn't look like a reader okay Thor Like he was Chris, actually Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth was he ever he was in the uh, No, but he I I'm saying like he would have the only other guy who I can think of in Jason Momoa's role is Chris oh. Hemsworth. Mm-hmm. Okay, got you it. You know? Got it. Because I've seen in okay, well, whatever. Let's not digress. <laughs> As an acting this thing I think blanket <laughs> I don't find anybody who has not acted. It's easier to find people who have not acted well in the movie. Yeah. True. Because even the Fremen's leader what was his name? Tilgar Uh, still got yeah. yeah no that uh, james bond villain yes. has a weird name yeah yeah, yeah. Javier Bardem. still got yeah bardem higher bardem yeah that guy killed yeah. it he has he he hardly came for like what 10 12 minutes in the you know final this thing yeah. he fights rebecca yeah. too right like yeah. he's side mein yeah. like chalo katam kuti we'll do yeah so it's easier to find people who have not acted that is true um Hans Zimmer didn't act too. well, probably. Huh? Hans Zimmer didn't act well, probably. Yeah. He just did good music. That's all. Yeah. No acting. He almost had no visibility, right? Yeah, <laughs> zero visibility. Okay. Whatever he was doing, he was doing it really well. <laughs> just audible. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you were saying something, McNally? Oh, I said even Tufir was like a good cast. 
Oh yeah. The Mentat. The uh, Mentat. Chief of he was really good too. I mean, for whatever two or three scenes he had. Yeah. Just felt like he he had that maternal uncle connection with Paul. Yeah. Even though he wasn't related to him. But uh, yeah. yeah. And um, he's walking around Arrakis with a umbrella that looks like a Japanese geisha would have. You know, like yeah. that was so <laughs> yeah. funny. Uh, the small yeah. ass umbrella in Arrakis. <laughs> but uh, even Leto's treatment of him, because it was Tufir's uh, responsibility to ensure that he removed all the where, traps. I know where you're getting to with this, but go on. <laughs> yeah. You know, with that, uh, the assassination attempt, it was actually his yes, uh, yeah, responsibility yeah. to sweep the palace because they were sure that the Harkonnens would have left some kind of sabotage, yeah. some kind of this thing. And he actually had yeah. done it, but he actually missed this one guy who was hiding in Paul's bed. And then uh, when he offers his resignation, Leto is like, what am I going to do with your resignation now, with the situation that I'm in? You know, yeah. would I really lose you? Instead, find whoever else is there. Yeah. Find no, no, no. Actually, he says, "Oh, my honor dictates that I resign." Yeah. It's like fuck your honor. What fuck do I do honor. with your honor? Yeah. yeah. Go find me some spies, man. Yeah. That's actually Leto speaks to his character too. He's like, "What do I do with these bullshit uh, theoretical prestige and honor things? Like, I want practical results, kind of guy." You know, they yeah. say following the law by the letter or by the spirit, right? That's a distinction. Like, yeah. are you going to be that pedantic to always say, no matter what the situation, this is what is written, so and so it shall be done. That's retarded. Yeah. So yeah. Leto was like, in the situation, it doesn't make sense. And that's, again, another shade of uh, his character. Did a lot with so less. Um, yeah. Leto. True. Yeah, if you, if you think about it, there's hardly so much of conversation in the whole movie. Yeah. And yet, when you look at it, you know, you look backwards... There's so much that they have actually conveyed across till the end. Conveyed, I agree. But uh, absolutely no spoon feeding. It was almost ruthless. No spoon feeding. No spoon feeding. The lack this of... This is IIT, bro. This is this is <laughs> CAT. This ain't like... I mean, if Nolan was tricky enough, just to watch one movie, we need to watch two videos on YouTube, which are one and a half hour each, which is longer than the movie to understand what the movie is. I think Jenny is like... A good dish like to that particular cuisine mm-hmm. so he'll just offer you french food or italian food mm-hmm. nolan's like adds italian adds indian yeah. adds spanish mixes it all up it still tastes yeah. good it's like yeah. a mishmash of many things but uh i i actually wanted to touch on i mean if we're done with the characters is, can i just um, can i just add mcnally yeah, yeah. that uh sure okay. try not to bring up food analogies when brute is around Okay, just you know that that's all. I just wanted to say that because yeah, it makes me emotional. I mean, talk oh, okay. about derailment. Sorry. Yeah, food. No. All right, but yeah. you were going to say something else. Please quickly move on to that. <laughs> okay, I I wanted to speak to Denise' use of CGI or like. Oh yes, um, dude, that his CGI is so intertwined. Yeah. with everything that's on the screen like it doesn't feel like a separate entity it feels right? so real and like lived in almost you know like there's wear and tear yeah. to the cgi yeah weirdly yeah. enough not just that it, it's like a such an interface that you believe could possibly exist like mm-hmm. when paul is learning about the fremen yeah he's actually looking at this projection of the sand and yeah the hologram uh, the, yeah the habitat and everything and he's actually in there and that interface is on top superimposed on top of him mm-hmm. and through this comes like the the tunnels that, and how they go underground and all that right yeah and he learns it through that interface. It was so like, it felt like it belonged. Yeah, in that universe, that in that world. Yeah. yeah, yeah, in that universe. 
Same thing with uh, Baron. Like when he uses something to levitate himself, the lights come on slowly. Yeah. And even the sound, right? Like oh. he must have worked with Nolan and the sound designer. Like yeah, I yeah, want yeah. this uh, is phenomenal. And um, I got to sample that in his Blade Runner too. That was just, mm-hmm. just I don't know. Um, people have found that dreary. Like it was like really slow paced and yeah. kind of dry almost. But just again, his way of storytelling and his cinematography with uh, the way he blends in CGI is just, you can see that it's Denis. It's like yeah. not anyone else. Yeah, that's true. You know, because even those, uh, I don't know, they call it ornithopters in the movie, the dragonfly inspired. Oh, yeah. Dude, yeah. those yeah, look so great. sick, man. Yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. So practical and you can believe, oh, yeah, you looked at a dragonfly and obviously you got inspired. Yeah. And yeah. it seems yeah. to work very yeah. closely to that principle. But we have to, of course, talk about the sound and the music. And Definitely. Definitely much, we have to. But do we want to? Yes, we do. <laughs> Thanks, Brut, for <laughs> the vote of encouragement. Yeah. Always. Um, just how much it carried this story. I mean, 84.6%. Again, what would we do without you, Brut? Um, <laughs> if I try to look at it, like, can I imagine this without this sound and this music and see what Denny did and what the actors did? Yes, it'll probably still be great. But the dimension that this sound and music added is, I think, almost on par with what the director brought. It's almost like what Vangelis scored did to the original Blade Runner movie. Blade Runner. Yeah. yeah. Like how much that stands out uh, as an OST. And this one, there's... You, you remember the sounds that played when the Sardaukar sequence, their intro, starts coming in where oh, there's yeah. that human oh, sacrifice... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a cascading human sacrifice happening, like the Aztec style, Mm -hmm. and their blood is flowing through. Yeah. And these people do a tika on their foreheads with that. Yeah. I swear to God, that sounded like Gayatri Mantra, though. Like, you know, morphed. It sounded like Om Burbua Swa. Like, you know, I don't know if you guys know that shloka, but like, it sounded like he got the Buddhist. I I don't know. It felt very uh, borrowed from the East and put like a layer of sound engineering on top of that that made it sound so unique and novel i mean yeah you guys agree definitely because it's a western audience a western audience you know you're showcasing a a villain figure who is dreaded or whatever so as much unfamiliarity you can introduce into the sequence for the western audience is going to stand out that much so you bring in some eastern sounding intonations and you you know fuck around with them in the sound engineering and then you set up this cascading uh series of human sacrifices live human sacrifices happening in the background which they don't even focus on that much it's all out of focus yeah it actually took me a while to realize oh they're doing the aztec shit in the background yeah like mm-hmm. these guys are being hung upside down on a pyramid, these small pyramids, and then the blood is flowing through and these small channels of blood are joining these larger channels and these soldiers are, it was so insane, the sound uh, and even the thumper, you know, that Liet Kynes oh. uses to call the worm. Yeah. All of these sounds that just, especially in a theater, and that's the thing, like we were talking about barrier of entries, right? Already there's a barrier of entry. For someone who does not know this universe, they're going to see this movie in a very different way, like we talked about. I was about to say that. I I think if you really want to enjoy the music, I did the mistake of watching it over earphones and laptop screen Mm -hmm. or the TV. Right. It doesn't do justice. Yeah, not even close. Yeah. 
And just how not close, that's the point I was trying to get at, which is already there's a barrier of entry. Like if you're not familiar with the universe and the characters, you're not really getting everything that this director put into it, right? You're not picking up all of the messages that he's left in, yeah. um, which if you do, then your enjoyment of this movie is going to be just, you know, um, exponentially more. But apart from that, there's also a barrier of entry in which kind of theater you watch this. Yeah. Because just as an experiment, McNality, I know you said you saw it four times in IMAX, right? Yeah, four times in IMAX and twice in D-Box. D-Box IMAX is actually where your seat moves oh, along the yeah. 4D. With, uh, they call that the 4D effect. Yeah, here. the 4D effect, yeah. So here's the thing. So when the doctor's flying, you can actually feel right. like your thing shake. Right. Yeah. So here's the thing. In my cool. experiment, my first time watching it was in IMAX and it was perfect. You know, the IMAX screen, the IMAX sound, everything perfect. Then I tried it out in a regular 70mm screen. Just there was a huge difference just between that. I felt like I'm not getting the scale, even though it's a 70mm. And I tried to sit in the front, in the center to sort of, you know, make the screen relatively more, you know, wider from my point of reference. Even then, I didn't feel it, what I felt in IMAX. Then, mm. for the third time, I tried in a 4DFX theater mm. just to see if that would be better. It was mm. the worst. My worst experience. It was the worst? It was the worst for me. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it felt too yeah. gimmicky for me. Like, it felt like it was not required because the quality of sound was already making me feel those things. You know, the quality of the sound in the thumper, in the ornithopter's wings, in the Sadaukar army's chant, or when they yell Atreides, Atreides behind this guy, the whole Atreides army. Like those things, yeah. the IMAX was good enough for me like to feel that, you know. Mm. But that is so weird that so many barriers of entry, like I was saying, right? Like the proper experience is just one. There's That's so true. many ways that you can't enjoy this movie. It's so frustrating with yeah. Uh, yeah. people like Denny. But at the end of the day, the silver lining is, of course, that... You can watch it on OTT. No, that... Uh, Part two is coming out. <laughs> the rewatchability is so high. Like, yeah. it's not just another hero's arc movie. It's not just another chosen one kind of movie. This yeah. is, oh, you think he's the chosen one, but he's quite the opposite. You have no yeah. idea what's in store for you. Yeah, it's Rebecca. <laughs> you know, you think you found your messiah, but think again. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's that kind of thing. It is a Scientology movie of Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah man the music and I have to say of course the entire OST is brilliant like uh, I don't know how many times I've listened to it on Spotify oh man that's the only thing you can listen to as you work because anything else is a distraction <laughs> yeah um, and even though you know the whole OST is brilliant what I thought Zimmer really went above and beyond is in Paul's main theme right Paul Atreides' main theme there is a refrain in the music and it sort of goes like this Yeah, it's, it's a great sound. Yeah, I can feel that subtle beats in the background. Can you feel the dunes, brute? Can you feel the bumps in the dunes, brute? I, I think I'm personally connecting. I think oh, yeah. I'm having an astral projection as I'm listening to it. Thanks, brute. Thank you. Let's just sing it, you and I, Abogus. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, but it's not the one that you're singing, though. You know? What you're oh, singing is just a prelude to this bit. Yeah. He oh, didn't play the music. But this bit that I just played, it is Paul Atreides' main refrain, Dude, one second. his main theme. I couldn't hear the music. Uh, did McNality, you hear the music? Did you hear the music? Nope. 
No, pretended like yeah. I heard it. Why do you think I was commenting? But I was... <laughs> You do do we I were, have we to guess comment? why you are ruining things? <laughs> it was not, not for your natural DNA. Nothing was coming out of the bloody mic. And I thought like you were enjoying it in your headphones somehow. Okay. We couldn't hear it. Uh, I'll put it in the edit. Okay. So that music bit, in that one music bit, you couldn't blame anyone to think, okay, this is just a main theme that you would give for a hero like you would do for any other film. But it sounds... this way because oh it's set in the desert so it's more of a arabian nights kind of a flavor that zimmer is going for and that's the reason why it sounds like this but i don't know how to explain this but it really sounds like a hidden warning you know it sounds like doom you know if you had a prophet you know the crazy kind of uh, prophets that used to stand around market uh, town squares or something you know yelling that the end is near and all that stuff yeah. musically that's what this sounds like to me and it sounds like narendra modi's announcements no generally what are you talking about <laughs> it sounds like doom like you know main aaj 8 baje ek announcement karunga and everywhere like that's it gone fuck <laughs> this shit <laughs> things just went down south real fast no but there's no uh, musicality to that you know like when yeah this point when you mimicked uh, very close <laughs> the lack of musicality in that and it's very direct <laughs> It's like you know uh, when Zimmer hears when Zimmer hears this, yeah. he'll be very proud. <laughs> he'll be so amazed at all the parallels. Yeah, truth drawing. <laughs> so basically, all of the things that I've put into Polytrade's tune is pretty much like Mitra, uh, yeah. according to the Thai Gap uh, podcast. It's the same thing. <laughs> Subscribe and share this kind of analysis. You know, yeah, nowhere. Any, yeah, nowhere. I even lost my train of thought. Um. Oh like that you were talking about that refrain um yeah. that, like gentle signaling that something's ominous Yeah it's a very Discount, very yeah. ominous sounding thing that doesn't usually sound like a traditional upbeat backing music for a hero the chosen one who's going to drag us all out of this problem and is going to be our salvation it doesn't really sound like that at all to me hmm. and that's where I thought it was so genius because then denny as a director probably wants to go to some distance not show all of his cards because you don't want to show an unsuspecting audience that the main character that they're rooting for is not really someone you should be rooting for you know that kind of kills the saleability of the movie and the part 2 as well so yeah. he went only so far as to give a few hints or whatever but then zimmer is saying a lot more through his music mm. you know and as an audience member who does not know who paul is who does not know what this person means or signifies for arakis and the empire when they eventually probably get to that in part 2 you know and then it dawns on them oh shit i've been rooting for this guy all along and then if they go back to part 1 and listen to that and they listen to that music again i think it will give them goosebumps because i think they will then recognize oh the signs were already there you know mm, yeah i really go nuts about this rewatchability thing like the more you watch something again and again if you're if there's still something new you're getting out of it in every iteration that just means uh, what a high quality product that was or how half blind you were brute So no I I I completely I'm a big fan of rewatchability also. Yeah. But in your case it just indicates visual impairment which is why you need to anyways. Yeah, yeah correct. Correct. Yeah. And which is why you saw all of those dunes bro like parallel vision. Like, see I I I feel them bro. Yeah. I feel them. You feel all the He, he was high on spice melange. Bro. Oh yeah. 
I did the real juice, bro. <laughs> okay. I I saw the doom coming even before it was there. You saw the doom coming when I said I want to talk about Dune with McNally and you were like fuck my <laughs> life. These guys are going to go no, no, on I, and I, on I about another movie. <laughs> no, I I I started I I saw the doom coming when you started giving handing out homework saying that these are the three links that you have to watch and the four books you have to read and these are the 10 questions you have to answer before we do the podcast episode. That's, that's when, when you heard the, the music. Coming. That's when you heard the music. Yeah, that's you know. when I like, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> that was your gom jabbar <laughs> yeah the gom jabbar test uh i said seeing the benny jizzerets uh, or sisterets in you like all at once neil is you all of them at once in you wow i've never felt so sexy in my life before. i i cried like rebecca cried whenever your phone started ringing saying that i see it the, i was feeling like leto i can see the end coming i can't do anything i'm helpless and you're like i must not fear fear is the mind killer i love yeah. that oh my god i love that verse by the way yeah have you yeah. ever read that whole thing so all the four times i watched in the theater it wasn't there was no subtitles so oh. like what happens with one gripe i have with Zimmer and normally Nolan mm-hmm. is like their sound overpowers the dialogue. That's true. Yeah. So the yeah. same thing happened here and I'm like, "Oh, fear is a mind killer. Okay, what next?" and then I was like, "Okay." Yeah, yeah. That's too bad. So, but I I wanted to go back and read it, but mm-hmm. I never got the chance. And or I never thought about it again. So, but yeah, I'm sure it's nice. Yeah, that whole verse is almost like you can adopt it as, you know, a life lesson. as something that you would apply in your mm. life like there is something you look at later and there's so much to learn about stoicism and being a good father and you know even later's glances without any words the number of time he just glances towards paul it just mm. communicates mm. a lot you know and this verse is something the same it's it almost reminded me to the word exactly how i felt when i was a kid and i was I remember the first time I decided that I am disgusted or I'm sick of how afraid I am. You know, do I even need mm. to be this afraid? Let me try it out. Let me see what happens. What's the worst that could happen? You know, and kind of going through it with yeah. fear. Going through it with fear, trembling uh because it was wholly unfamiliar and new. And then when I came out of it, you know, and realized, oh, that was that was not such a big deal. All that mattered was I had to somehow gather up my scrotes yeah and just go through <clears throat> it just walk through it and this whole verse is pretty much saying the same thing i must not fear fear is the mind killer you know and then i'll paraphrase the rest basically it says i'm going to stand you know unshakable immovable and i'm just going to let the fear pass through me and once it is gone i will look back and see that the fear is not there anymore only i remain or something like that you know and these are frank herbert's words like these are his exact yeah. words but the way he articulated that i thought was just man that was brilliant that guy has a way with writing i've read some paragraphs yeah he just writes amazing and it's not just about the vocab he uses like he has fancy words not denying it but the way he ties ideas concepts together and makes them see see makes you see them in a new light mm. yeah like i have the book at home and oh <laughs> i wonder Yeah. I mean, so yeah. much patience. Because it's not just one book. Yeah. You put it down after a while, but yeah, it's like some of the passages I I read through chapters, it was like really dense, mm. but it's 
not just he's not going on and on like Shakespeare, right? Like his, he he has a way with words and he ties ideas and concepts together that makes you see them in a different way almost. Mm. And I'm sure this is one such passage. But what I gathered from it from the movie was that you stay witness to the anger, like the fear that passes through you. Mm. And it changes you in the end and you can look back to see that you've changed for the better, right? Like as, as long as you stay through the process of being, uh, of having the fear run through you, yeah. you come out better on the other end or something like that. Something to that effect. My, yeah, my takeaway was more, not that, that it changes you and you're better at the end. It's more that, oh, okay. look, you're still standing. You know, mm-hmm. all that fear. You're still in one piece. You're still in one piece. Yeah. All of that fear you yeah. had, all of those uh, doubts, but... Brute, you let all the dunes pass through you, Brute, and you're still standing. I always stand, bro. Yeah. There's one thing that you can guarantee when being Brute is there. Mm-hmm. He'll stand still. He'll stand tall. Yeah, I'm still shocked, actually, that you did not draw a parallel to dunes with idlis or something. Like, as soon as no, he no. went into food, I was dreading. No, that- see, Bogus, I'm a professional. Okay, uh-huh. you gotta understand that. Yeah. There is no time for mood. Okay. Oh. That's not how it works. Oh, yeah. I might be hungry at about 7 o'clock in the morning. Mm. Okay. I'm almost might be half asleep. Right. In your monologues. Mm. But I'm a profession. I'm there. When you ask me a question about dunes, I'm there. Yeah. Might not be the right All answer. But I give you one. Yeah. <laughs> I give and, an answer and Bo- back. Huh? And Bogus's monologues are brutal. 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 I was going to say that actually. <laughs> um, brutal. Nice. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next thing. I think we've talked enough. It's been long enough. Uh, v? 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 Uh, yeah, V. V, v just agreed. Okay. You, dog. <laughs> All right. I don't think even Hans Zimmer needed such a download of what kind of music he has to make. <laughs> yeah, McNally, go ahead. There's that one drum beat where he plays with irregularity almost. Yeah. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. drum beat and like it's not like symmetric uh, i wish i could play it but uh it comes quite often in the how movie. about this how about but this mcnality you uh share that you know small clip with me yeah or give me the timestamp yeah. or something i'll add it in the edit sure but like, go, go on with that i yeah. was like how? yeah it's just he doesn't sometimes defies symmetry mm. like he just because you know a note starts somewhere he doesn't see see it through and like what you would expect it to be he mm-hmm. breaks it and he fragments it he reminds me of Rahman in other ways but like it's just bring, breaking the convention mm-hmm. but just listening to that beat you, you can you can see what kind of a composer he is it's just like against the grain against the tide unconventional just pure genius I'll, I'll send you the link but uh, yeah for sure yeah, you'll know what I'm talking about awesome so yeah like I was saying we've been long enough into this and given the opportunity I think McNality and I probably could talk about yeah. every scene. Yeah, that's provided given an opportunity. Given an opportunity, but we're not giving yeah. ourselves an There's opportunity. There's no opportunity given here. There is none, yes. Yeah. And you made sure of that, bro. Just your presence. Yeah, absolutely. Is because I do my job. Ensuring that, yeah, thank you. Whether it's raining or sunny or whether it's a desert or a forest, mm-hmm. I do my job. I'm yeah. a professional. Of course. We'll move on to the next thing that we wanted to talk about and... I'll listen more. Okay, bro. This time I'll listen more. And I'll agree mm-hmm. if you want with what you're you saying. Listen, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this next um, segment is more about the messianic complex that mm-hmm. people tend to have. This is what the author was trying to get at with yeah. 
the books, the core part of his message was, look how people tend to gravitate towards messiahs. These Absolutely. Mes- yeah, these messiahs are chosen or thrust upon in that place. And then all stress in the world is put upon their shoulders. And yeah. then now people can relax and try to live vicariously through them. Their successes right. are defined by how the Messiah is doing. And if uh, the Messiah fucks up, well, we know who to blame. We know who the scapegoat is. Hang the bastard. Yeah. And now our hands are clean. So not just this aspect of the human condition, but also the fact that, okay, you got one guy in power. Let's say you got so lucky that you found an ideal ruler, an ideal king, Aragon. What happens after he's dead? What happens after the power changes hands? These are the kinds of things that the author was trying to talk about with that messianic complex. How as human beings, we feel compelled to choose one, one man, one voice, the chosen one, always one. It's not a group of, it's almost always usually one. Um, What do you guys think about that? First of all, Boga's great listening skills. After you. you declare that you're going to listen more. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it's an example for the oldies how to imbibe that listening skill. Right. Uh, messianic complex, I think it's a very real issue. It is closely related with climatic conditions. And you see in Dunes why the Fremen never connected to the complexion of Paul because they don't relate to that color scheme because uh-huh. Fremen are much more tanned and much more beige in color, whereas you know the Paul and uh, the Astridis were much more fairer. So right. It is a real thing. People don't voice it out more. Like we also saw how the messianic complexion has created two religions of Christianity from, you know, the Middle East. And then about 100 kilometers away, there is Islam, which was created with much darker complexion. Well, ish. And obviously our gods, which are, you know, the the, the Eastern gods were multicolored. Mm-hmm. Uh, their complexion comes in blue, green, depends on, you know, which part of the you know subcontinent they were from. Mm-hmm. So all these puts really a perspective into you as to do we have to believe as the same species into this complexion issue of the Basaya. Wonderful, bro. Just how much did you plan to make me regret and cringe in pain? But mission accomplished, you know. Yeah, but I genuinely feel this is something that the world has to really look into deeply. And uh, if we don't look into it now, Mm -hmm. with the, you know, the climatic global warming, I think there won't be an issue as everybody will have the same complexion soon with more heat. Right. And lesser ozone layers. Right, right. We should listen to Greta Thunberg when she tells us how brutal it is. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, Brute. Um, Over I, to you, McNulty. Yeah, what, I, I think you, it's, what is your take? it's going to take us a while to really absorb and process <laughs> what just came out of your mouth. Um, it's a test of your listening skills, obviously. I'll, oh, there will be questions. <laughs> it tested a lot many more things. Uh, but McNulty, go ahead, please. Add to that wisdom if you can. <laughs> I can actually try because what Bogus was talking, uh, sorry, Brute was talking about mm-hmm. was, uh, I think he was being flippant about it, but he oh. might have actually a point there. <laughs> Always. I'm a professional, yeah. McNulty. Yeah. But yeah, I'm yeah. interested how you found a point in what I said. So Exactly. Please. No, I mean, the point I found was like how colonizers always have to come to the rescue of the colonized, right? That's what I think you meant by that. Like somewhere on the other side who looks a certain way has to always come to this side and save you, mm-hmm. yeah. which is probably the, the point you were trying to say. And that's always the case. Like normally colonizers write history and they always have this character that's empathetic towards the other side. They go become one of them and then save them. 
Mm. So like, it's like a savior complex almost. So I can see that. I even thought of it. I, I didn't know if it was just like being cast a certain way on purpose or if it just kind of default happened that way, because I don't think Frank Herbert talked about how the aristocrats look versus how the common man looks. Mm-hmm. I, I can't speak to that, but I don't know if it was Denis kind of like a purposeful way of casting it this way. I, I, I think he just went for whoever suited the role more. But again, it, like Root has a point. Like I, I see you know, McNulty, um, I don't think genius. I don't think, you know, he is a true listener. Bogus. We, we all, need to, to intellectualize whatever he said. Because probably what it really meant was the Fremen don't have fairness creams. And that's as far as it goes. Yeah. Like the Atreides did not share fair and lovely with them. Um, They don't have skin protection. See? Yeah. So In their clothing styles. (laughs) Having said which, I still agree. I'll tell you where I was leading that point to. It's a good bit. It's a joke. I agree. But I'll tell you where I'm leading that point to. The point is, you somehow always seek for salvation from your own, what do you say, from your own masters. From your own masters? Who put, yeah, from the people who put you into misery. Oh, okay. You know, you always try to seek that respite from the Approval. people, from the actual ruler itself. Like a Stockholm Syndrome kind of thing. Yeah, it's a, mm. absolutely. And it is never so happened that a rebel actually worked out. Unless somebody has actually supported from the opposing or the oppression team. You look at any any story, even in British, like the Indian freedom struggle or any kind of struggle, you would always see that there would be some empathizers or sympathizers more so from the oppressor's side who actually give them a leeway into how do they come into, you know, into the system. And according to me, it cannot happen without that. So the messianic complex that you were talking about, that whole idea of having that one person, etc. I feel it is imperative. And if you don't have, if you don't give that that one person all that belief and confidence and assurance that, yeah, we believe in you, go ahead, whatever you do, we do, as long as you solve our problem, it is for a good reason, because otherwise it is not possible to come out of their, you know, misery or evolve as, as a tribe or a group, whatever it is. Well, yeah, I mean, the one advantage we have with a singular figure at the top is that there's always consistency. Right. Yeah. If we are expecting this singular figure, the chosen one, to decide on n number of things in a given month, let's say different kinds of questions to be decided decided upon, because it's the one person we we have some sense of, I guess, confidence that we know this person again. We never know them really, but we know this person to some extent, and we kind of can expect a um, pattern in how they're going to decide or how they're going to go yeah. about it. But then on the flip side. The amount of pressure, the amount of expectation, the amount, the margin of error that these people have being in that singular position, all of us knowing that we are all flawed at the end of the day. You know, if there was a way to pick someone special, someone really, you know, advanced than other people, if there is that kind of merit available to us, then okay, that's a different thing. But if all of us are flawed and one of us is going to be picked, then we know that it's kind of a, it is being set up for failure as it begins. Not again, this is where I, I, I beg to differ because it is circumstantial. It is about why you're choosing a leader for what purpose. If you're trying to choose a leader for the universe to function properly, it will never happen because you're choosing a person who the universe produced. What you're choosing a leader is to solve the problems that you produced as a as a set of humans. So you obviously are trying to pick the best of the lot 
in whatever is available. I don't see that to be a flawed strategy. And also, nature has already kind of done a lot of filtration, right? Nature has a way of picking the best and making that best known to majority of the people. So it starts small, but it kind of snowballs into like this huge impact around one person. Agreed. But how will you create a superhuman if you if your capabilities are already flawed, right? That's the paradox that I see. We need that messianic complex. Otherwise, we can't move forward according to me. And also, why do we have to believe that it is forever? Everything has a shelf life. Yeah. We have a shelf life. So does our choice. Even at a ground level, our choices have shelf life. So the idea I feel is even before we go into messianic complex or the whole concept of heroism, I'm dumbing down the whole concept, hero worship or whatever among our own kind. The bigger question is what are we trying to solve and who are we trying to choose to solve that problem for us? And how are we choosing them? How are they being chosen? Nature is doing half of the job. The exceptions are already known. The best of the lot, the alphas are already known. You don't really have to You walk into a room, you'll know who's the alpha, right? The nature does a majority of the job. Exceptional men work differently. And how you do it is not the point as long as you're solving the problem. Mm. I, I tend to think of it as like there's a no, it's a no way out kind of situation. Because of the inherent flaw itself it doesn't matter how you try to play it like one singular messiah figure or mm. democracy or aristocracy which also yeah. has been tried which is the most popular one of all of them and the other one is of course like a council or a committee kind of thing which you know let's imagine in a society you try to ensure there is representation from all kinds of skills you know like uh, you have blue collar representation, yeah. white collar representation, right. like teachers, plumbers, painters, artists, all of these people are involved, engineers, scientists, right. trying to figure out a decision. Because if you leave it just to the technocratic people, the level of empathy might be a little too less for our liking in the sense that they might want to move with decisions with little regard for quality of human life or how it impacts the everyday person on the street. So See, if you, that's the point now, because we are assigning the jobs to the top brass guys. And these are tough decisions that they have to take on behalf of flawed people. So empathy doesn't have a lot of place when you're empathy is not a luxury you can have when you're trying to solve a real problem. That is true. The second thing or even primary thing is and McNulty, I want your opinion on this. The moment you place a hierarchical structure or a society which is built on the foundation of hierarchy, mm. you have already come into a point where you're like, I can't function without somebody above me. Mm -hmm. So if you don't find anybody above you, you will ensure that somebody is going to go above you, either by yourself or as a tribe or a group. So my question is, how come that we need, our kind needs this kind of a framework of society versus say a lion doesn't need it, a tiger doesn't need it, or any other species on the planet doesn't need it. So where do you think we became so different that we are having to choose one among ourselves to lead us in a way where we know that it's we are not going to need him after some time or where we know that there's a certain shelf life? I thought every animal family chooses their prime or their alpha. Like lions not by the it. people. Not by lions I mean, family. By, the by king the of the lions. pride is not chosen by the female, the lionesses. He goes, challenges the existing yeah. king, right? And wolves so it's also a pretty have the same kind It's of... meritocratic. It is meritorious, right? Like, yeah. what do you call it? Meritocratic, what is it? I mean, we get it. Meritocracy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right? You win, you kill the old king, you become the new king. Yeah. You don't kill the old king or you die, 
the old king remains the old king hmm. that's not how we function right like you said there's a list of frameworks that we function there's one way of choosing a leader of democracy there is aristocracy then there is like monarchy then there is you know dictatorship there are multiple ways we choose our leaders so why so many frameworks that's the bottom line question why can't we have one framework magnality that was a question for you what do you think about that yeah magnality oh uh, yeah i think so messiah is a bit loaded right like messiah yeah. is someone the connotation there is that they're going to come save you from your miseries mm-hmm. and show you take you to a, a brighter future mm. but uh, i'm just kind of like tapering it down a bit and asking is it so wrong for the common people to have a hero mm-hmm. like let's say i'm in the ghettos of south america and i want to be a football player yeah. i look at lionel messi i'm mm-hmm. going to look up to him yeah right sure like lionel messi is pretty much a god for me now because he represents like pinnacle of how to play soccer. Yeah. Him or Ronaldo we can fight, but the Messiah bit gets complicated if you take someone like Lionel and put him into a role of like saving you, you know, kind of right. showing you the light. Yeah, you kind of adore him and you can learn from him, he's your idol and all of that. So I think idols or someone you look up to work as a societal function like they serve their purpose. Like mm. you can start there, like you can be like, "Hey, I want to be like that guy, I want to be like that player, I want to be like that actor." And you can kind of work your way up from that. Mm. But the problem is when messiahs come and they have to kind of save society, right? Like these heroes that are put in a political context. Mm-hmm. So whether they're politicians, kings or dictators, then they have a much larger implication. Right. But even then like in Dune's context, I don't see why it was such a bad idea for the people to elect Paul as their leader. Mm. He exhibited the qualities of a good leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he had a lot of doubt, he was working through it. He was trained like by the Bene Gesserit. He was trained by Jessica in that art form. Yeah. He was also a mentat by the end of it. Um he comes from a good, you know, upbringing. His father was a noble guy. We agree that Leto is kind of a gentleman and a noble person. Yeah. So he has all these traits. So to me what's actually happening is it reminds me of the dark knight where Harvey Dent says you either die a hero yeah, or you yeah. live long enough to see yourself become the villain. So the yeah. problem here is the power structures that corrupt you. Mm-hmm. So those tip over like the tables turn after a certain point. So yeah. in this case in book 2 I think after 12 years where they led the jihad and like you know a lot of people die. Right. So there was like a kind of a period where he did good mm. and then the tables started to turn because he he kept that power for a long time and that power consumed him yeah so it's almost like the function of power structures it doesn't matter which nice guy you put in there yeah. that's going to bring you Yeah. and this is where i talk about shelf life the yeah. question is who decides the shelf life we don't know the answer yet Mm. MS Dhoni is an example like you look at the team captains right all the great captains yeah. more often than not they never left in a hive very few captains actually left in yeah. a hive lot of great captains actually left in a very big slump right yeah so so how do you gauge greatness and then you know start identifying the greatness reducing it's a very tricky proposition Yeah. You have to be bru- brutally honest with yourself, right? Pretty much for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard to do. Yeah. yeah. It's very difficult to do it. Mm. And yeah. mind you, we are all flawed already. So yeah. there is an existing incapability for us to understand few things, mm. which is why we are expecting somebody to do it on behalf of us. Yeah. But just going back to your point, McNally, I agree. It was a interesting point you brought up, which is is it such a wrong thing for people to have a hero? 
you know it's something that we actually touched upon way back when we did an episode called role models and mm. in that episode we try to distinguish between what's the good extent of you know looking up to someone and where it starts getting mm. counterproductive you know where yeah. you focus you start focusing more on the individual rather than the character right. trait you know that i admire leto's stoicism so as long as i'm looking at leto's stoicism or leto's qualities as a father or whatever i'm good but as lo- as soon as i start looking at other things which are about leto as an individual his personality that is where the trap kind of yeah. falls it's a subtle distinction that people have to make between what are they ideal idolizing is it the person or is it the trait so if you start idolizing the person it's pretty much like generally people are good at a few things mm. so they they actually are the 1% the cream of the crop in the talents that they exhibit but what happens when you idolize that person is pretty much even if they're shitting you start to idolize that yeah. you, you attribute everything to that person mm. like even when he's he or she starts talking about things that they are not a master of. Yeah. That they're not like, you know, skilled at. Even that you'll take at face value and you're like, oh yeah, this this is how I should be. And right, that's it's, the problem with... It's the yeah. authority fallacy, right? They call it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that's that's what you need to watch out for. But like to say that, oh, I don't admire the way Sachin Tendulkar bats is, you know, because he can't be a role model that... is a bit kind of far fetched like a, yeah it makes no sense you know, yeah but like i'm not going to learn how to run a fucking business by that guy you get my point yeah brute you're saying i forgot what <laughs> i mean, on this bombshell we pretty much have to end this episode i guess uh, so brute can collect his thoughts about all of the dunes must have forgotten yeah, five or six of them that i personally met <laughs> yeah yeah all the bumps <laughs> along so, yeah. the way and i empathize with <laughs> You really forgot? What was the beginning? No, I forgot. Forget it. So it, it was just a you wanted dehydration. To, you anyway. wanted to add something when I said uh, role models and the distinction between. Oh yeah. yeah. So so out of that episode came another great episode of the art and the artist, oh. which again talks about differentiating. You know the qualities that you admire versus the personality he is, the mm. individual is. Yeah, that's true. so it's a never ending debate according to me because unfortunately these decisions are driven by morality or your moral compass yeah and that can never be generalized and as al- much as you like it yeah and also you know is that always an either or like can't it be both yeah. like can't you hate one yeah. can't you still agree that right like I, i i can agree that no i mean if you go and ask any beethoven servants was he easy person to handle i'm sure none of them would agree to that right? yeah but if you ask them like is he the greatest ever music composer i'm sure all of them would agree like yeah absolutely no doubt about it mm. so the pseudo impressions that we make about these you know geniuses mm. where we can't comprehend how they perceive things how they think and all i think our flawed nature makes us try you know pushes us to see a flaw in them which is where we merge the art and the artist mm. I think the same applies even for leaders. Doesn't matter if they've solved our problem or not. When the day comes, when the first drop of hat, we are smart enough to figure out, you know, what they lack and say like this is the reason that he shouldn't continue anymore. Nice. Well, I think that sounds like an organic conclusion. There was no conclusion as such, but pretty much yeah. it was once like again the other Tiger episode. Yes. Um once again it is the 100th special yes. of the Tiger podcast. Brute and I both of us cannot believe that we are even looking at this number. Um right. and the reasons for that of course we went in the previous episode in the 99th episode. Yeah, this is the 99th episode. <laughs> yeah. It's all about the, the 100th episode. Yeah. 
but One short of the century yeah. yeah yeah we preluded the shit out of the 100th episode <laughs> <laughs> nice good anticipation oh yeah i mean when you're at 99 if you can yeah. anticipate that you know the 100th one is going to be is right on the corner man i actually got right. short sightedness <laughs> yeah you've got all your dunes in order um anyways yes <laughs> Um oh man, this, <laughs> yeah. this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so guys, thanks for sticking around. That brings us to the 100th special episode of the Thigh Gap podcast. Who knows how many more we can do, but stick yes. around to find out, subscribe and share. Let us know what you thought about Dune, let us know what you thought about the points we discussed. Let us know what you thought about um the McNulty specials we've done, especially. Uh reach out to us uh on Instagram. at at underscore thigap and on vero and twitter at thigap and our email is mindthigap at gmail.com mcnullity once again thank you for showing up especially on an anniversary episode it's always great to have you with us um any last words before the we the pleasure is all mine um i just wanted to say that this is commendable on your part to keep going to keep striking the balls um even when the mood doesn't permit you yeah and keep showing up and uh setting an example for for us all that uh we should do something with our lives outside of the mundane jobs so mm. more power to you kudos keep doing what you're doing thanks bro bro thank you thanks mcnulty any food uh, related you made uh, us emotional yeah yeah because <laughs> you want uh, you want me to speak like a guest definitely <laughs> so <laughs> any food related analogies you want to leave us with yeah oh, see checking. 100th episode is like the third dosa you eat in the afternoon right okay you don't know whether you are full you don't know whether you are still hungry wow so i think when you are in doubt always continue eating and that's what i believe uh, i strongly feel we will be doing because we've been doubtful since episode 1 <laughs> <laughs> and if uh, if anything has motivated us it is that doubtfulness that we had yeah how how long how bro, much save some space for the vada bro how many doses will we got yeah, oh, yeah that will be in the 200th episode analogy <laughs> <laughs> but does it feel weird does it feel different bro how does it feel like i mean i don't know if i feel any different to be honest no no it's like the 32nd birthday that you celebrate exactly where well, like it doesn't matter it's just another day you're going to your work yeah you're doing your job and coming back home and dreaming of the salary date so you know it's the same with us yeah every every weekend we tune in we come up we record our episode and dream for that one you know the angel investor who will come in and say like here are 10 crores guys yeah. make it big that's it but that's yeah that's the dream Yeah. That's yeah, a perfect that's example. It's like the 32nd birthday pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, as we always say guys, Thai Gap podcast subscribe and share. And share.